All right. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land is Lenise again, your host of the high and mighty, the podcast for your political pot friend. Today, joining us, we have Ileana Green. Boop, 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 boop. Hey, thanks, Ileana. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited to be here and talk with you guys today. Oh, so uh, it's been a it's been a short minute since since we actually first got introduced. Um, uh, was we only actually met? Well, t- let you tell it. We met before, but I didn't remember. So I'm going to say when I know that we met. We met last year um, uh, during the Cannabis Justice Accelerator, um, and it feels like it's been like, you know five years already. That's- I know, especially with it being in virtual land, it, it really is a morphing of time. But it was, yeah, la- uh, May 2000, uh, 2020. Um, so, yeah, a little minute. It's been an exciting journey to go from participating in the class to now working with you guys as a policy advisor. Yes, yes. Well, before we, we dive uh, deep into that, um, Share with us a little bit of, of your background. I, I know that you're a lawyer. Um, do you do stuff in the courtroom? Um, a little of <laughs> a little of everything. So most of my actual, uh, so I'm licensed in Illinois and California. I'm from Chicago, best place in the Midwest and the whole wide world, honestly. Um, oh, okay. From the west side of Chicago. I do do some um, in court work. Um, most of my direct services work is reentry, so helping folks navigate collateral consequences that are um, due to their criminal record. So, like civil legal issues that you have because you got a record. So, I can't get, like, it's not criminal defense, it's not defending you, you know, in terms of a conviction, but after you already have a conviction, when somebody trying to tell you, no, you can't get X, Y, and Z because of your conviction, that's why I step in and help folks um, navigate. So most of my in-court um, type work is um, expungement-related work, um, getting folks off of probation early, um, and also doing occupational licensing um, hearings, which means representing folks before, like, licensing boards who are telling them, no, they can't get, you know, a license to be a barber or to be a, a, a therapist or whatever it is you want to be um, because of your conviction. So, so they would deny someone from being a barber for a, a, a felony? Yeah, so I um, I primarily live in the state of California, um, and here about a fourth of all of the jobs and the even higher percentage of the quote-unquote good jobs require an occupational license, which is like a license, the state saying, yeah, you can work in this field. Uh, being a barber is one of those, being like a therapist, being like all types of jobs require a license for you to do. And so you got to apply to get a license, and the state can say yay, or they can say no, nah, you n- not today. Um so when they give people a nod, I'm like, really? Is it really a no? Um, and and um, try to advocate on their behalf to, to make it a yes. Oh, so you'd be flipping the, the, the situations. Trying to. What, what, trying to know like, you, you, you got a good rate? You want you, you feel bragging? You feel like you're bragging? You're like, come to come to lawyer Esquire Green. We, we right? get two thirds of the time. We'll get you overturned. So. <laughs> Um, so actually, one, one cool stat, though, uh, when at my uh, previous employer, I just finished a two-year uh, fellowship that was sponsored by Hewlett Packard Enterprise, um, and I was able to be the first person in the state of California to argue this new law called AB 2138 um, that expands access to occupational licensing for folks with records. So that was pretty cool, and we won that. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, so the law had passed. 
Thanks. The law passed in July and we argued in August. Oh, wow. So, so, so tell me more. What's the name of this bill? It's called um, uh, Assembly Bill 2138. Um, and it's colloquially kind of like in the bigger um, box of ban the box. So ban the box is a series of laws throughout the country that are um, expanding access to employment for folks with records. Um, and so the specific law varies based on where you're on, but essentially the, the concept of you not being at, able to ask about a person's criminal rest record, do you have a felony as the first question on a um, on a job application? A person should be given an actual opportunity to present what they bring to the job, their skills, their qualifications before and, you know, give it a conditional offer of employment before they get um, asked about their conviction history. So this is an extension of that whole, this is a movement throughout the country, ban the box. And so this particular law is an extension of that and it moves this concept into occupational license. Because most mm. in the box is just, you know, in for when you're working for a private or a public like job, this is an actual license. So you're in, in, having a conversation with the state, a state agency. Um, okay, so, so you can't even the, get the job without the license for these private right. companies. Okay, mm -hmm. so the co company can't even turn you down because you can't get a license. You, you're not you don't qualified. have the license. So right. now it's like you get the license because the state law got passed in July. And so what happened, it got passed in July and then someone got denied in August and you argued, hey, that's not allowed. Yeah. So actually, this was a little bit of creative lawyering. So they got denied before August, um, but their case wasn't final until we had the hearing. So we, you know, kind of strategically, well, let's wait until the law gets enacted. Um, so basically, the, the law said that if, you know, if a person had a conviction that was expunged, you can't deny them because of that conviction. So my client had a, a, a conviction for felony sales of marijuana for $40 worth of marijuana, $40, $40 like I kid you not, $40. Um, and they, the Board of Behavioral Science had been telling her for eight plus years, no, 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 you can't get this license to be a therapist. Um, so the, the most recent time they told her, we waited for the law to become enacted and we were like straight up, um, we don't even have this argument because the law says you cannot do this. Um, and here's the law. And so we argued that and we won. So it's a combination of working really hard on policies over years to, to get it moving and then being strategic about how to actually argue it and, and when to implement it. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. I, I had no idea. I had no idea. Okay. So. And now my client makes more money than me, honestly, real life. That's what I was, I was about to say. Like, so she had, so what was she like? She has, all, she had all the credentials to be an education to be a therapist outside of having her license. So what was she doing with herself for eight years? When she wasn't able to have a to practice, she was she was working in uh, in sectors of her um, industry that didn't require her to have a license. So basically, she wasn't able to earn reach her earning potential that she had worked so hard for. She had a master's degree. She had all of these three thousand plus you know clinical hours. How many ever she needed, she had taken the test to become a therapist. She had done like X, Y, and Z. And of course, these people took her money to you know every step of the way cost money. They took her money to take the test to do this to do that and the third. Um, and so she was relegated to, um, areas of therapy that didn't require a license. Um, and, and so I'm not well versed on therapy to, to tell you exactly what they are, but basically she wasn't able to earn what she's worth. Wow. And so this was, um, this was in 2016 or this was in 2021? This is in 2020. So last year. 2020. Oh, so at a time where we think that because we passed Prop 64 and you felony. think, yeah, you would think, it's, but it's not that way. It's, people are still being affected every day. 
Yeah, because there's so many ways that the criminal system affects us outside of the criminal system. So, yes, this is no longer, you know, illegal, but this is the licensing board. They don't have to follow criminal law. That doesn't apply to them. They can say no because they have the authority to say no because you have a felony, and, and that's the whole story. Hmm. And, but I did, you know, I, I mean, what you're saying is not lost. I did take the opportunity in court to argue, you know, basically our perception of of, of uh, cannabis has shifted um, over time, particularly in California where there's Prop 64. So it should be evident that this is not how we feel or this is not the view that we hold on this anymore, that people should be punished because she has a conviction for $40. What, what drives me is that $40 is worth of worth weed. Um, that's really like the driving point in my mind, the, the how minuscule amount. Yeah, and, and, and that's crazy. And I think, excuse me, <coughs> And I know that's 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 you know a lot of folks really don't understand um, the 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 magnitude of the ripple effects of of what happens when 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 we people get these these titles or these marks these felonies that it's, it's not over when you, you you come home from jail it's it's not over or prison it's it's it, it, you have it's pretty much a life sentence yeah. hey, you know you don't go she only had probation she didn't even go to prison. See, see, even more ridiculous. So I think that's one of the reasons why you know I feel like we have like a, a whole um, community of people out there. You know, I was um, when I got into cannabis, I was going around, going to these conferences, and you know, meeting all these people, and a lot of like well-meaning people in the cannabis industry, and a lot of folks who like you know, like I can tell when someone cares and they really do care. I can tell when someone who doesn't care, and what I realized is there's a lot of really well-meaning caring people that didn't really know what they were talking about or didn't have the analysis to, to understand um, a situation comprehensively. Uh, and so I was like, well, let's create a training like, uh, uh, that, that can really break down what cannabis justice is, you know, what the drug war was, you know, what the impacts of it is today and, and what work still is left to do um uh post freeing the plant you know like we 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 good we free the plant in 38 states can we go back to those same states and free the person right can we do that work and so the camera accelerator uh we, we we launched last year uh officially and uh that's that's where i remember officially meeting you although you remember meeting me somewhere else um and can, can you tell me a little bit about uh your experience with the accelerator um when how did you hear about it and uh, yeah. what makes you be like oh i have to sign up the accelerator program was so dope i really really enjoyed that space um so at the time i was in the midst probably my second year of a two-year um fellowship project that i had got sponsored by healer packer enterprise and it was designed to provide um uh, a program to repair some of the harms of the war on drugs through direct legal services, community organizing, and I think corporate engagement. I don't remember, you know, some of the taglines. Um, yeah. So yeah. I was uh, essentially making my own job on a daily basis. So I had to figure out what, what, like, what that meant. Um, which is a little scary. Um, and so a big part of that to me was career development and, and base building and learning and getting the tools for me to be able to do this work efficiently. Um, so I always had my eyes open, um, for organizations that we put putting on a career development programs. Um, I was a super fan girl of, of the hood incubator for a long time. So I've been following you guys on like, uh, on social media, on Instagram, as Lenise refuses to acknowledge, um, 
I had emailed her several years prior, you know, introducing myself when I was, this is when I was in law school in Louisiana. I don't even remember how I found out about you guys. I think you guys are hosting a conference of some sort that I was trying to finagle a way to get to. It ended up not working out. Um, but um, Lenise sent me back a, a polite little auto email, like, if I don't know you, don't worry about a response. Um, <laughs> so I had just been waiting on my moment to be a part of the hood incubator. I remember that email. I took it down. My mentor gave me some feedback. <laughs> it's okay. It was a humbling experience. It was like one day I will be coming in her prayer view, though. That's okay. It gave me an aspirational goal. So once I saw you guys post on Instagram, I think, um, that you guys were hosting the, the accelerator program, I knew that I had to sign up. I originally went to, uh, uh, to my supervisor, and I was like, this is directly in the scope of my project. I need to be in this. So I was really blessed that I was, you know, in that position where I could go to this during work time um, and, and be a part of this. And this was, like, really a part of my growth um, in my job. Um, and so I was blessed to be around a lot of like-minded folks at different levels of organizing. Um, I'm a, like, I'm new to organizing. I'm definitely not like a complete baby. I, I grew up in a very much an organizing family and organizing space, I think, of uh, professionals in different fields. But I, I'm not like a, I myself am not a community organizer. So I wanted those tools and I um, wanted to be able to um, leverage some of that information. So I came um, and met a lot of cool people who I'm still friends with. Um, I actually met my first Zoom friend there, like who I met in real life, a friend uh, who lives in Oakland. Um, <laughs> like I met my so, first Zoom friend at the <laughs> I really did. It was the first time like, yeah, in every human's life right now. <laughs> yeah, it was dope. So we got a um, a series of readings um, in, um, in like things to listen to that gave us literally nuts and bolts um, and skill building for um, organizing. Um, so I remember we read some like some case studies on um, different organizers and like being able to dissect what the tools were to, to take from those case studies. We talked about power mapping and building power. And that was really mind blowing because there was a lot of concepts that I was like peripherally familiar with, but it actually put words and um, in, in um, like clarity to a lot of these concepts, like moving power and, and how to do these things. Um, so it was a, a beautiful experience that I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you were, had an opportunity to sign up and, and, and that we met and then, you know, post the accelerator that we had a chance to do the, the debrief. Um, and I remember um, in the debrief, you were like, I'm a lawyer. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And you're like, I want to be a movement lawyer. And I was like, that's cool, too. <laughs> um, and so, you know, um, just thankful that we had the opportunity as moving forward to be like, well, you know, like, there's actually things that we need to understand better. You know, like a lot of times um, as organizers, there's a policy coming down um, for whatever reason. Um, we don't have the time to read a hundred page bill or we have the time, but we don't have the confidence to know that we have the comprehension to understand what's in a hundred page bill. We don't. And therefore we're taking the, um, the analysis of someone else's uh, uh, comprehension. And, you know, that could be great if, you know, they're filtering for the same things that you're filtering for, but it could be uh, detrimental. And mostly it's detrimental because no one's really filtering for cannabis justice and checking for survivors of the drug war. So when you start, you know, taking other people's analysis of a policy, it, there's, there's really not too many people's analysis that I can just pick up and take. And we were really looking for 
<coughs> and we were really looking for be an opportunity to get more uh, strong, uh, especially in our in our policy fights. Uh, and so when we you came on this year to be our official policy advisor. Um, from my perspective, um, uh, th that's been that's been really cool and, bene and beneficial, especially for our affiliates when they can like you know email you up and be like, yo, this is happening. Um, can you put together uh, analysis or a recommendation or or something for us? And um, and then you come through with like tagging it up, talking about section two five seven code nine nine two. Line three, you be like, oh yeah, right there, right there. It says it right there. That's what we talking about. That's what we talking about right there. And you know, and that just adds a whole other level of of, of authenticity to the conversation when you're talking facts, not someone's summary. So, this is, this, can you share a little bit about your work experience with the Hood Incubator, the policy advisor, and and and, and supporting um all the all the affiliates? Yeah, um, this has been one of the dopest jobs I've um ever had. I um got this job in January of 2021, um, following um, being a part of the, um, the accelerator program. Lanise, you and I, uh, we spoke and I was like, yeah, I'm really excited. I want to be more involved, see ways that I could, you know, be involved. And then lo and behold, the Hood Incubator had a position that was opening and it like really spoke to my skill set. I was like, stand there written for me. Um, so I was excited um, to apply, got the position. Um, and so the Hood Incubator's affiliate <laughs> network is a nationwide um, group of independent um, uh, organizers who are fighting for cannabis justice. Um, and so we work to provide them with resources um, and, and um, a platform to share information so that folks who are in more mature markets can, you know, share with those in other markets and we can learn from each other's, you know, mistakes and, and, um, and things that have happened well. So currently at this moment, we have um, four affiliate cities, Chicago, of course, because it's the best city on earth. We already talked about this. Um, <laughs> Oakland, where I'm currently living. Um, Los Angeles and New York, um, which are really ap appealing cities. Um, I'm hoping, you know, you know, you can get this to the right people that I am hoping to travel with the Hood Incubator um, to go <laughs> to some of these places as, you know, <laughs> the organization's uh, lawyer. So if you can get that to the right people for me. I'm sorry, um, to the right people. But so essentially what I do is that um, each of our affiliates, um, they have their um, their policy goals um, for that year at the state level or at their local level. And so they bring those goals to us and they um, and we support them um, it, by using the law to um, to follow in their lead. So we allow directly impacted people um, who need to be at the forefront of these movements because they're closest to the issue to um, tell us whether, you know, the the star is that we're looking for and we give them tools to help them get there. And then on the flip side of that, um, we are more so the um, go-to folks on the federal level. Um, so they come mm -hmm. to us in terms of our federal priorities. Um, and so we do, um, as an organization, a lot of our work is at the federal level and then a lot of our state work is through our affiliates and supporting them. Exactly. 
Um, yeah, so it's been really, really fun. I've got to work on really different wide range of issues. Um, one of the things we are currently working on, we are um, in uh, black policy labs, uh, black futures labs. Uh, they have a policy institute, which is really cool. It is largely resembled from the Women's Policy Institute and made it just unapologetically black. So I really love it. Um, and we're currently working to push um, forward a state-level definition of um, what um, – a social equity applicant is or to be uh, adversely impacted by the war on drugs. Um, and so these are really important things and, you know, things that are frequently thought as nuances as we're creating laws, but they're really important because how are we going to say that someone's benefiting from, you know, tax money if we don't know who that group is? Um, so we go through and, and help create all the, like, the nitty-gritty things that you may not think about so that these programs can really work and, and, and go robustly. Um, and so it's cool um, to be working with folks who are like deeply experts in um, cannabis because I am not. I am more of a, a criminal justice expert and a policy expert, you know, generally. Um, so it's cool to have that, um, being able to take in this information and then have the analysis of folks who are deeply in this every day. One of my, uh, one of our affiliates who's also in the policy lab with us, uh, Kika Keith. Um, she is our Los Angeles affiliate, and she um, has a. A, she is the first black woman to open a dispensary in Los Angeles. So it's really cool to just like have her on a team and she just knows all these different things off the top of my head, that, off the top of her head that I have no clue about. And then I can like kind of provide her with the law and then together, you know, we're unstoppable out here. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I had laughed earlier uh, when you were like, and then we had talked and then it was really cool because then, you know, a position opened up at the hood incubator and I applied and I got it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. You think that's how it happened? Because <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> how it actually happened is uh, I did our one to my one to one with you, you know, sign up for the accelerator. Learn what a, you can learn what a one to one is. You, too can use insider organizer lingo one day out there in podcast land. But like after we did our one-to-one -one after the accelerator, um, and I, I, I was like, you know what? Sometimes you just get a feeling about people. I was like, it was, I was like, okay, I need to make sure I keep this person in our community orbit. Um, and you told me everything that you, you were interested in, everything you wanted to do. And somehow, so I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I created a job around you that I knew you wouldn't say no to. <laughs> Felt that way. And I'm just, just going to say that there was no one else who could apply for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which yeah, really so. makes you feel seen. Because um, and, and, I couldn't put into words what I wanted to do. So it was just really dope when someone else was able to put into words. I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, that is what I want to do. So I like it felt like someone heard me and was able to, you know, use resources and knowledge that I didn't have to put together something that I wanted. Yes. Um, but I mean, that's that's. That's, you know, I was out there, you know, like we're out there trying to build our base, trying to build our, our army for people who want to fight for cannabis justice. So when, when someone tells you, hey, I'm here, ready to work, I have all these skills, I'm passionate, I actually have shared values, you know, who's again, I have shared values, I have lived experiences, and, you know, you don't get all that too often. So you, when you, something like that happens, you go out and create a job. And uh, <laughs> and offer it to someone and and, and hope that they take it. Uh, so I, I'm just glad uh, that this that you, you just took it and that it's it's been uh, um, a really uh, uh, fun fun journey this year. Um, I know we have uh, a lot planned for um, 2022. We're gonna we're gonna we got plans to, to kick it up a notch. Um, what are some of the things 
uh, we got planned for 2022? Yeah, so we're um, definitely going to be continuing to push forward, um, you know, our, our policy agendas through our um, affiliates, particularly in California. I think that this um, creation of a state-level definition is going to have a huge impact on the nation. Um, Oakland in particular, but California generally, really leads the country in cannabis um, policy generally because we have the you know one of the most mature markets um so i think that if we have a very solid definition pushed forward at the state level in california it will probably largely be mirrored in new york which will then lead to it probably largely being mirrored at the federal level which will be huge so i think that that's um one thing that's uh, seemingly small, but I think will have a huge impact, um, going to continue to push forward our um, policy platform. So I encourage folks to, um, to do the policy survey and tell us what you think is a, a policy priority so that we can, um, you know, work to move that forward um, and, and create our own platform. You know, a lot of times um, you're playing on someone else's field and you need to play because, you know, these are policies that affect us. Um, but we need to be creating our own field of creating our own policy platform and not just supporting ones that other folks have decided should be, a, you know, what's given to us. Um, so we're excited to do that. Excited to continue to push forward federal work. We, we recently put out a um, comments on the Senate's um, uh, recent uh, draft bill. Um, C-A-O-A? Mm-hmm. There we go. Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. There we go. There's so many acronyms out here. It's so hard to keep yeah. up. But the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, um, it has not been introduced yet. Thank you yet, for reading it, those pages. Yeah, it was a lot of them, No problem. <laughs> I do. So really, in some, a big picture of my job is I read a whole lot of pages that say a whole lot of nothing, and then I rewrite it at a sixth grade reading level in less words. Um, That's a real like, skill. Yeah, you look at you like that's all they said. Like they could have said it's a lot shorter. <laughs> Whereas, but two, notwithstanding, for though, more so gatekeeping. Yeah, and, and the law is a lot of gatekeeping, a lot of a lot of hoops and ropes to keep people out who we who you know the powers don't be want to participate in in um, these systems. So we need you know people who are able to to speak that language because um, sometimes it sounds like another language um, to be able to translate for us and, and to have a conversation like a, a circle of dialogue going. Um, so a lot of what I do enjoy is preparing um, folks who are formerly incarcerated to engage with their um, legislators, um, to engage with decision makers and policy officials. Um, I've had the pleasure of being able to like prepare some folks um, to speak on, at the federal level with their senators um, about policy um, uh, cannabis issues that impact them. So I think that that's a really cool part of my job that I enjoy. Now, when you say folks, do you, you mean like, uh, wasps or you mean like survivors of the drug war? I mean, uh, you know, it's, so like... folks, so survivors of the drug war who have um, been formally incarcerated for, uh, for offenses that are related to drugs. So all of my work, honestly, so my big picture work, life work is really for black liberation. Um, and so I'm hopeful that my specific work can uh, at some point change because I hope that this is not the issue that's in, affecting us for forever. But right now, um, what I see as a priority for black liberation is dismantling the harms of the war on drugs. I think that that is the biggest um, harm that's been done in my lifetime. I'm not saying the biggest harm to black folks ever, but I think the biggest harm definitely in my lifetime um, and what I've grown up around to see as uh, needing imminent attention. So like all of my work is really focused on drug drug reform, whether it be through direct services, through um, policy work through public education, um, 
So all of my work is in that realm. So the folks I'm preparing for um, to speak with their senators have uh, drug convictions and have been incarcerated for drugs. Um, so really just sharing their experience with their senators and why we need to change these laws um, is a big part of my job. What percentage of, I mean, I have no idea. I know you don't, you're not a senator or an elected official, but it's, you know, I have an idea. I'm wondering if we have the similar idea. What percentage of the people that the senators deal with, you know, outside of themselves, of course, and their coworkers, but what percentage of the people that, that they're speaking to on a regular basis have felonies? Basically, close to none, I'm sure. Yeah, besides themselves and yeah. folks that you're bringing to them. Yeah, you know, a couple <laughs> people get bribery, you know, felonies and all types of white-collar crimes. But besides that, and even then, they, they usually walk off with a misdemeanor. So, yeah, they don't know the people with felonies. So, I, so, I, so, the one, so the part, one of the things that I'm really excited about um, and, and that, you know, you're really helping shaping up in, in the work for us as, as an organization um, is definitely um, empowering and not in that cheesy, like, oh, man, I gave some homeless person a microphone and had them talk about how they were being homeless. But, you know, actually um, empowering people um, with the direct service, actually, all right, get rid of the expungement. Direct service, all right, here's help with, with, with jobs and knowing the uh, different resources to go for housing and stuff, but also empowerment in the sense of knowing that we are powerful and that we, we can um, set the course for, for our communities. Um, and one of the, the major ways is through that is, 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 is through policy. Um, <clears throat> and so that's, I think that's empowering when, when, and, 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 and outside of, uh, I know most of us in the United States don't have a real understanding of how the government works and the process outside of maybe how a bill becomes a law. Um, but we know that um, folks caught up in the cannabis community, um, especially those that uh, got criminalized, really don't know. Like you're really in the shadows. You you aren't running around city halls and state buildings um, if you're part of, of the cannabis community. And so we have a whole generation of people Oh, we have a whole community of people in this generation that are being uh, politically engaged, civically engaged for the first time, learning, oh, we have city council meetings every Thursday night. Oh, oh there's commissions. and Oh, there's, you know, like, oh, I can talk to my, my council right. member, you know, like all sorts of things that, that, that they're discovering. And, and, and that's what I, I, I'm excited about is, is the fact that we're helping uh uh, survivors of the drug war um, learn the things and the, the resources and tools that we have at our fingertips, and and then and helping and giving them the the space to be able to access it for for themselves um, and speak uh, for themselves. <clears throat> so I guess I say all that to say, uh, what do you think your uh, your vision is? Like, like what, what kind of like policy vision do we have you know like what what, what, what kind of like if something you know like if this gets passed then it could be like a mic drop like we could walk away because we now know like the drug war is inevitably being dismantled yeah so i i think uh, the biggest part of the problem with the drug war i think is that it concentratedly stole wealth and resources from black communities um, so I think the biggest policy win would be to restore that um, in, in a multitude of ways and realizing how that uh, 
falls into every sector of our lives. Um, and, and so, like, most proximately, what I think I can contribute to is helping to give folks immediate pathways out of the carceral system into economic opportunity. Um, so engaging in a, a multitude of both expungement and um, drug uh, policy changing laws as well as uh, economic protections. So my work is really at like the cornerstone of like economic justice, racial justice, and criminal justice reform. Um, so being able to give folks a solid opportunity to um, have economic stability, growth, and wealth and health um, would be a, a huge win for us. I agree. Exactly. Um, and, you know, earlier you had mentioned uh, something about the relationship. You were like, well, on the ground, the, the affiliates, they, they lead what's happening on the local and the state level. And we just, they tell us what's happening, what, what the scene is. And then we're like, all right, but here's, here's how we can support you or here, how do, how do you want to support? And then here's the support that we can give you. And whereas on the federal level, um, we're more leading um, and making sure uh, that, that the, the states aren't, aren't being harmed by what's going on there. And can you break down, can, so can you break down um, like the space between what's happening on a federal level and the state level and what's the importance of like that separation or not, not, not that why it's. Yeah, I think I understand. I follow. So like the federal government is kind of this, um, like omniscient, uh, being that's like above our heads that no one truly really interacts with on day to day because we live in, we live in state, uh, cities, which are in state. So we live, we kind of, on a daily, we live at the local level. Um, but the federal government really um, creates um, a lot of the policies that um, control what happens at the state level. So the federal government is, is extremely important. Um, federal law is extremely important because a lot of times it, it influences, um, if not, uh, it influences what the states are doing um, in a large way. Um, so I think one, like you said, a lot of our state, um, advocates are really, you know, um, involved in what they're doing. So it, it's taking up a lot of their time and they're not able to engage at the federal level, um, like they would like to. Um, so then it becomes our job to, to sit at the tables that are, um, allowing our folks to have a voice. So for example, this past year, we were a part of the MORE Act, the Marijuana Opportunity, um, Expungement I'm oh, sorry, more um, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expansion Act. Sorry, so many letters. Okay, I, gotta, <laughs> I, had to, I had to write it out in my head first. So we were part of the MORE Act Federal Working Group, which was um, hosted by Drug Policy Alliance. And so um, we were able to have a voice at these tables of, of what should the regulations look like um, for when the MORE Act does hopefully get pushed through. Um, and so uh, regulations, <laughs> that's a whole other story, but are a huge part of lawmaking. Um, a lot of laws are made by agencies, um, which I feel like we forget about a lot. So like the legislature is hugely important, but at the end of the day, a lot of times like the actual agency is making the rules that impact somebody. Mm -hmm. um, so we are able to be a part of this federal working group and essentially take the information and knowledge we're learning at the federal working group, take it to um, our constituent base, um, you know, in the different affiliate cities that we have, get their input on what was going on, and then take that back up to the federal level to say, hey, these are what our communities in these various cities throughout the country, which make up our federal, you know, United States of America, this is what they think and, and how these things are going to impact them. Um, and it's important to have that duality um, because I can read a lot of words that I don't actually know what they mean in the context of, you know, a dispensary if I'm not running a dispensary. Um, 
So I was able to, you know, to break down what a lot of this, uh, the stuff said at the federal level. And then our affiliates were like, whoa, this is going to impact me negatively because, you know, this is what this means when this is applied to, to me and my state. Um, mm-hmm. So, you mm-hmm. know, for example, at the federal level, one provision um, that was thankfully removed was an exclusion. So they are making a, um, a licensing process to get a, ca- a cannabis license at the federal level, and they're excluding f- folks with felonies. However, at the state level, there are um, sometimes explicit inclusions of folks with felonies. Um, <laughs> and so, so not only was that just huge in that, like, this is absolutely contrary to what we believe in if you're going to exclude felonies, uh, folks, folks with any types of felonies, but in addition to that, it's contrary to law that already currently exists. Um, so uh, stuff like that is, you know, really how we keep the circle going from the, the state and local level to the federal level. Because, you know, it's all intertwined in terms of someone's existence. Yes. And then I, I remember that. And then I remember um, there was a, when they, they fixed that, they got that, uh, uh, we caught that last year. And they, they're like, all right, we think they caught it. Um, they said, hey, we're going to take it out the next version. And then this next version that came out this year, um, it, it it wasn't there, right? And, but what I remember, I did notice this time. You know, as the um, at that time, um, I was a chair of Oakland's Regulatory Cannabis Commission, and I remember that we had just been looking at um our our, our data in Oakland around the uh, the licenses, and that I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's just say that we had like a hundred licenses that were equity. And they were breaking down the data on which ones were because of a conviction qualification and which one was because of a non-conviction qualification. It was like 80% plus were from non-conviction qualifications. So then it was like, well, that's great. But then um, the same law that was trying to um, have felony exclusion for having a license on the back end, as part of like their community investment part, wanted to have their grants, like the opportunity for the small business administration loans or, or what have you. They wanted to have that uh, just be only for people with convictions. So it's like, well, how do you feel about people with convictions? Because one, you just said they couldn't have a license. Now you're saying only people with convictions can get access to the loans. But two, the majority of folks with licenses, equity licenses, aren't from con- aren't for um, felony convictions. So the majority of equity businesses wouldn't be able to get access to these loans. And so we were able to catch that. And that had actually existed in the first version of the bill. Mm. It was just one of those things, again, you say, you have to be actively talking to the folks most impacted. I happen to be talking to the folks and looking through the data. So the second time reading it through, I was like, wait a second. This that sounds not right. Exactly. So, so then we were, we were um, engaging um, our representative Barbara Lee's office and I was in touch with, with their staff and I was able to like to pretty much send them the report. So they were able to see it. I was just like, and this is not special to Oakland. You know, you can, you can right. call up the, 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 the regulators um, across the state um, and, and around the country. It's because although it sounds great and sexy for those previously incarcerated to own a cannabis business, this, you're not actually passing policy or funding programs that's going to have that actually happen. The majority of folks in that category are not in a position to um, to to do this. I was like, you have workforce development programs that are still struggling um, to to get 
um, formerly incarcerated folks into high wage positions, let alone business ownership. Anyway, so that exactly that whole state, federal, make sure they're aligned um, uh, thing thing is important. And and I don't know if you were around back in Oakland in 2018, but if you know, like each time policy gets passed in California as it relates to cannabis in an extinction phase. So from my understanding, you had like the people, the folks who um, got Prop 215 passed. And then that was the, uh, the next version was the, uh, was the 209? Um, but anyway, so we had, we had 215 back, back in the day with the Brownie Mary and Dennis Perone and all of them. And then by the time it came around, oh, for Measure Z, um, the, the folks, it was because of the new policies, those folks were gone by then. And then by the time Measure Z folks came around and it was time for the Prop 64, a lot of the Measure Z folks didn't make it. So each time new policies get implemented, it's like, there's like a, an extinction phase, like a huge chunk of folks, businesses that had existed prior um, don't, don't get to make it out. Um, do you do any sort of uh, uh, um, uh, lawyering, legal stuff around... Um, the business side of stuff? Um, so most of my work has been a really criminal justice focused, but I am excited to expand some more, um, especially with the occupational licensing stuff. I think that would give me more business um, uh, oriented. I have not done a whole lot of like business, like entities work type, what, what you're thinking or business structure, but I'm excited okay. to um, to be expanding in that way. I've been taking a lot of, you know, continuing legal education classes on cannabis business stuff to, to you know, get hip to it, um, especially since it's a growing field that requires, you know, a lot of lawyers and super regulatory. Okay. Let's say that there's a law student or a, a, a almost law student um, or just very recent law school graduate um, that is out there in podcast land today um, listening to us. And, and they want to know uh, uh, how do they get involved in, 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 in cannabis, particularly for cannabis justice. Um, yeah. Do you have any suggestions how people could do? Um, sure. Well, one. If you are a current law student, we definitely welcome um, interns, like especially full-time summer interns. So we invite you to come and work with the Hood Incubator so you can actually get your hands um, hands in, in everything that we're working on and that we just talked about right now. Uh, there's a number of other organizations throughout the country who would also love, um, you know, uh, law students to engage um, with them, um, you know, such as policy groups, you know, in, um, in Chicago, there's Illinois uh, Equity Coalition. I know that they would love some, you know, interns. Um, I think that social media is a growing way to stay in the loop on things that are happening. So once you find organizations that, you know, you align with, I would follow them on social media as a lot of times that's, you know, where you hear first about some of the opportunities that they have to engage with them. Um, and yeah, I think that those are uh, some of the big ways. And then, you know, as you start donating to different organizations that you believe in, they'll send you like their mailer list and you can, you know, find out more information um, from there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Ileana, so much for joining me today on High and Mighty, your podcast for your political pop friend. <clears throat> I don't know if I said that right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I was like, hi, my the podcast for your political platform. Yeah, I did say you're right. Okay. Um, thanks, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the conversation. Um, and thank you for being persistent and making sure that that I, I knew you uh, because yeah. we definitely needed to know each other. And I, I guess one final note, I think that is definitely important. And I always love to bring it back to this in any conversation I have. Um, like I am largely in this work, not because of, of weed or cannabis or marijuana or, or whatever um, is comfortable, word is comfortable for you, um, but largely because of the crack epidemic. Um, and I think that um, a lot of times for the war on drugs, we like to not acknowledge that it is rooted in the crack epidemic. I almost see the crack epidemic as verbiage as synonymous to the war on drugs um and that that was you know a very intentional um you know we think of the war on drugs very intentional racist policies that are rooted in um creating in in a, a health crisis literally manufacturing a health crisis um and then giving folks no types of resources for it so i want everyone who's in the cannabis industry to remember that you know this fight is larger than just the plant of cannabis um it, it is a fight um the war on drugs is the war on people and this is what they have replaced people with in terms of drugs and this is the way to criminalize them um so i want us to get out of the narrow mindset that it's all about weed because it is not um it is a bigger picture and so i'm excited you know, I really got pushed towards uh, cannabis because I was able to find people in that space who thought similar to me and shared those same similar values and worldview. So um, just want to remind people um, to think more broadly than cannabis. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that is an important thing to remember. And on that note, I'm going to get out here a, a high and mighty note. Oh, peace out.